All right. Good morning again. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, with the reading that we did um, before the singing, uh, we are working through the lectionary. And if you have been here before, uh, you'll remember quite a few weeks ago I talked about the Epiphany. We are actually still in the season of Epiphany. And Epiphany uh, was the celebration of Jesus being manifested to the wise men and the revealing that Jesus was for all the people of the world. So we are still in that season of the lectionary where we are thinking about the fact that Jesus is for the whole world. Now, the last time I spoke, I spoke about the upside-down kingdom of God. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul was talking about the foolishness of the gospel, the fact that the message of the gospel seems like foolishness to those that don't understand. But those that are Christians know that it is the very power of God. And I must say this morning, I am with Paul, in which I feel I do not have the fancy words, words with which to convey the beauty of this message. But it is my hope and my prayer that the very power of God comes through, despite my limitations in this. So in previous messages, we have connected the famous Beatitudes of Matthew, that section that you may have heard that talks about God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of God is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And it continues like that. The Beatitudes, and much of what is called the Sermon on the Mount, which is a longer chunk of a record of Jesus' teaching, reveal this upside-down kingdom, these priorities that don't fit with what we normally think are powerful or successful. And those who were believers knew it to be the power of God, this message of the gospel, this message of the kingdom of God, because they knew that God turns everything we think we know about power upside down. And as we have studied the kingdom, we have learned that the kingdom is here. It's not some place that we are trying to get to after we die. The kingdom is something that has been established by Christ. In one of our readings, Matthew 5, um, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus mentions that he came to accomplish the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets. And now we understand that the story of Jesus' ministry on earth is the unfolding of the kingdom of God on earth. The kingdom of God was begun with the incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And it will be fully established when he's, he comes again, but it's here now. And the kingdom is here now in the lives who are living with Jesus, who is their king. Last week, we had a guest speaker, Richard Enns, and he spoke from 2 Corinthians 2, and he talked about believers having a Christ-like fragrance. But in order to smell like someone, you have to spend time with them. At the very least... You have to know enough about them to frequent the same places they do to get the same smell. This week in my studies, I was learning from American philosopher Dallas Willard on holiness. And he was discussing the difference in the lecture that I watched between being Christians and being disciples. 
The thing about being a Christian is that it's often brought down into our thoughts or our beliefs. Sometimes the only requirement is a prayer or a statement. I believe in Jesus. Done. Christian. But being a disciple is about following. It's about trying to become like that person. Dallas Willard likes to use the word apprentice because he says, in our culture, we understand that a little bit more. You are following someone. You are learning from them. You are trying to become like them. And in this reading, especially in Matthew 5, as I was studying it this week, it became even more clear to me that if we are truly little Christ, if we are truly living with Christ, if we are truly living like he is the king of our kingdom, it would make a big difference in our world. In Matthew 5, it records Jesus telling his disciples that they are like the salt of the world, salt that brings preservation and flavor and was so necessary in that time, that they are like the light of the world, like we learned that Jesus is. The light that brings light in the darkness, that makes a huge difference. But in my studies, I really, truly wondered, do we take the words of Jesus seriously? This idea that we are truly supposed to be different? Do we think it's impossible? Dallas Willard suggests, yes, we talk like it's just an inspiration, can't do it, it sounds nice, but we're never going to be like that. But how often are we inspired by stories of incredible forgiveness that seems out of this world? Or people who are peacemakers in situations where it seemed like they should want anything but peace? Or people who are fighting for justice against all odds? Those stories inspire us. They speak to us. Because they whisper of the kingdom of God, of priorities, of actions that are different than the natural ways we tend to operate, which seem to be so self-centered and so propping of ourselves up. These stories whisper of God's kingdom. And the nature of the kingdom, it flows out of the character of God and the example of Jesus. Isaiah 58, which we started with, it talks about the kind of fasting or worship that God wants. And it was all about caring for others. Psalm 112, another one of our readings today, it talks about the generosity of the godly. It says, Things like this. I'm only quoting a couple verses. But praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. They share freely and give generos generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. I find this psalm to be fascinating when you take in the context that is around it. The psalms are a collection of worship songs and poems that are put together. So when you are trying to figure out what a psalm is trying to say, sometimes it's really helpful to see the person who was putting this worship book together 
What did they put in this area with it? So when you look at the context around this, it goes beyond what this psalm can seem, which is just good things come to good people. You notice that it begins to, to hinge on the fear of the Lord. The psalm just before this one, Psalm 111, it talks about the deeds of the Lord and says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the Old Testament, fear of the Lord is different than being terrified of the Lord. There's actually different stories. They use it differently. And the phrase for fear or fearing the Lord is reserved for situations in which the character or the power of God is revealed and the people are responding to him. It's interesting that the editor of the Psalms put these three Psalms together. Psalm 111, talking about the wonders that God has done and knowing his character, fearing the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And then Psalm 112, that speaks of those who fear the Lord or those who know God's character, are joyful and explains all these outward-facing love acts they participate in. And then Psalm 113, right after it, which has these verses. Who can be compared with the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? He stoops to look down on heaven and earth. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, even the princes of his own people. This sounds, to me, very similar to a passage in Philippians that's talking about Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This God, who stoops down to look on the earth and lifts the poor from the dust. This Jesus, who gave up his divine privileges to come to earth. This is the level of care and humility the mark that mark the upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of God, and those who live in it. Now, if we are trying to impose this kingdom living on ourselves, if we are trying to bring this up just out of what we can do, it can create a really heavy burden. A burden that sounds as heavy as what Jesus said in Matthew 5, talking about righteousness, when he said, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And just a little reminder that heaven here was used as a replacement for God because they were very irreverent of the name of God, so they used heaven to mean that. Sometimes when we hear heaven, we start thinking, Far off in the future, I don't need to worry about it until I die. But this is actually talking about the kingdom of God that has been established here by Jesus. Now, some say this verse about righteousness is about the fact that our righteousness needs to come from Jesus, which is true. There is plenty that we learn from the writers of the Bible that what Jesus has done has made us right with God. We do not need to worry about proving that we are good to him because he has made us good. 
But there are others who talk about this verse and they point out that Jesus would have been saying that there needs to be an inner change. The righteousness of the Pharisees was more of an outward behavior. Make sure that you do it all right. And it was not about the heart, which ties in to our, verse, our verses in Isaiah 58, where they were going to the services. They were seeming to do all the right thing. They were fasting. They were seeming very penitent. But there was something missing. And I think we can still, we can't just throw it on the Pharisees, we can all still easily fall into the trap of thinking that the outward behavior or just getting our thoughts even, just thinking right, that is what it's all about. But that's not all of it. It's about a change. A change that God wants to work in us, a change that he has started in us, but that he wants to continue. Entering into the kingdom life is about being connected to God. It's about the work that his spirit does in our hearts and minds. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul is talking a lot about the work that the spirit does in our hearts and our minds, the things that the spirit is revealing to us. There is much that the Holy Spirit does do in us. But I believe that the collection of these verses, what I have learned from Isaiah 58, what I have learned from the other readings, and what I have learned from going to other sources to help me learn more about how to put this together in our lives, is that while this is the work that the Spirit does in us, we are being called to change our posture. In some of my reading this week, I was reading... Um, a book by Sky Jasani where he actually says, what if Jesus was serious? And he spoke about the fact that the Sermon on the Mount makes it clear that our relationship with God is intrinsically linked to our relationship with others. And I actually think we see that at play in the sections of Isaiah 58, which I already read, and some that I had not read yet, but I will be getting to. So Isaiah 58, it starts with a call to repent. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. And I talked about repentance because the kingdom of God is near. And then I pointed out all of the other invitations where Jesus was saying, come to me. And another one of our readings, the Psalms, um, was talking about my heart. Here's the Lord say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, I am coming. And I take that, all that I have been learning, and I'm reading these, and I find that the end of Isaiah 58 is very telling. At first, it can seem like it doesn't fit, because you're hearing about fasting and all this stuff that they're doing, and then you're hearing about doing all of this justice work, and then it seems to randomly jump into keeping the, the Sabbath day holy. And it says this, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath, and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day, and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. To put this together, why in the world I think this all makes sense? I have, I don't know if I'm going to explain it well, guys, but you have to go with the fact that the inheritance that God promised 
to Jacob. What was that? That was a land in which the people were going to be able to live with God. Then, after this section about saying people are going through all of these motions and they're acting like they care about God, but it's actually all about themselves, this is saying if you keep the Sabbath day holy and you are, what's the actual word here? If you don't pursue your own interests on that day, then the Lord will be your delight. And this makes more sense to me based on other readings I have done that talk about the way the habits that we have, the rituals that we participate in, they calibrate our hearts. So much of the Bible talks about what we love, loving God and loving others. And the things that we do, our routines, our habits, they calibrate our heart toward what we love. And it can be very easy for us to get into the habit that the Israelites were, where yes, they were going to church. Yes, they were praying the right words. Yes, they were bringing their needs to God. It seemed like they were doing everything right. And then God's saying, this is not what I want. Why? Because it was so self-centered. It was about their needs. And he says, look around. There are so many other needs. Now, the Sabbath day is complicated. Because I'm not going, it's not as simple for us. We like to say, okay, Sundays are our Sabbath and this is what we're going to do. But let's be honest, for the Israelites, the Sabbath day was supposed to be this day. Their entire rhythm of their entire nation was built so that this was a day of rest. This is a day that you looked to God. And so in this adjustment that they needed to make, they needed to like change their focus on that day. They needed to change their posture. They needed to make it about God and about each other. We don't have that. I know that we have Sunday, and maybe some of you have a very good rhythm, and Sunday is only about God, or at very least, it's only about rest, and all you would need to do is slightly change your posture, and then you're golden there. I'm not like that. I try to make sure I have intentional days and times that I am focusing at God, focusing on God, and that I am resting, but it's not the same as an entire nation's rhythm to make sure So what have I learned from this? What have I learned from the fact that they had a weekly ritual that they still needed to tweak because they needed to turn toward God that I need to make sure I'm doing the same thing? That I am making a practice of changing my posture and being intentional about not making my worship or my life about myself. Am I taking advantage of this space, this kingdom that Christ has made possible where I can be in relationship with God? Am I taking my leading from his character and his example, and am I making my life about him and about others? Or has it been about myself? Can I deny that my life looks more like the beginning of Isaiah 58 than the second part? Prayers that focus on my needs, sometimes wondering why God isn't answering, trying to be patient, but still. 
listening to sermons with practical applications about how I can make my life better? Is that what it's supposed to be? Or is it supposed to be something different? I think it's supposed to be something different. I think there's a reason that I get inspired when I think of God saying care about each other, when I think about Jesus coming into the world, being with the most humble, operating there. We tend to think, oh yeah, he came into the world, but even in that, he didn't go to Jerusalem, he didn't go to where the most religious people were, he went to the most humble places and he operated there. I think that tugging at my soul reveals to me that yes, it is supposed to be different. Stories like Dorothy Day. I don't know if you know about Dorothy Day. She was Catholic. She took the Sermon on the Mount very seriously. Her entire life, she cared about justice, she cared about the hurting, she cared about those who were in poverty. And the story of how she came to faith is a long, beautiful story. I encourage you to read it sometime. It's about a person who is human, and she continues being human all of her life, but she took the Sermon on the Mount very seriously. And she began a movement along with uh, another man who also was very passionate. But they began a movement called The Catholic Worker. And in this work, I am convinced she lived out the kingdom. Her home was always open. She inspired a movement where people lived that way. They just were always open. They created the home. And anyone who needs to come live here, be here forever, like however long you need to be here, come and be here. And her attitude was that she saw Jesus in everyone. It did not matter who they were, what they looked like, how passionate they were about some things, whether they were hippies, because she even writes sometimes, she wasn't sure what to do with these hippies because it was very much in hippie time. It didn't matter how much they smelled, because sometimes people smelled. She saw Jesus in people. And you may not have heard about, heard about Dorothy Day, but I know you've heard about Mother Teresa. And one thing that I find very interesting is there was one time that Dorothy Day went and visited Mother Teresa. And as they were talking about their work, Dorothy Day talked about how she saw Jesus in everyone. And she felt that like that's what we were called to do, see Jesus and minister to them. And Mother Teresa said, you are one of us, and gave her a pin for uh, the mothers of Calcutta, I think it was, and said, this is what we do as well. We see Jesus in people. We minister to Jesus in the world, in the people who need love, who need Jesus, who need to know that they have value. So in all of our reading, I'm just going to skip by some scripture. We learn that this faith, faith isn't just about what we believe. It's about who we love and how that love changes not just our life, but the world. And in some of my reading, I was learning about, uh, it was this neurologist who also studies theology, and he was putting together attachment theory with our relationship with God. And I found it fascinating. But he said, basically, in our gratitude with God, that develops our relationship with him. And then we when we live out who God is, 
that reveals to other people who God is, and other people can get, become attached to God through that because they're like, oh, this is who God is? This is not what I had experienced before. And I had wanted, it seems like a quick shift. Um, but if our faith is not only about what we believe, but it's how we live, it's who we love, I wanted to open this up to not just be me talking about stuff. And I wanted to provide the opportunity for other people to share. And here is what I would like you to share. Is there a person or a practice that has changed not just the way you think about faith, but the way that you have lived your faith? What did it change? And we have a mic here that I'm going to set up, and a mic there. And I'm not afraid of awkward silences. I'm getting very good at them. So I will give you time. Uh, if you don't have an answer, that is okay. We can move on. Um, but I will set up this mic in case you do. Okay, now that we've established we're all unchangeable. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I will share something that's been changing things for me. And for me personally, I have actually really been enjoying this foray into the lectionary. Sometimes I'm worried it's making my messages a little bit boring because I'm reading lots and lots of scripture, which we're not used to. But I feel like it's actually been reordering the rhythm of my year to the life and ministry of Jesus. I understand as I'm doing this, I'm a little more steeped into it than you guys would be because I'm, oh, this service is going to be this one and this service is going to be this one and this is how we're going to read it. Um, but I do like the idea of our services being reordered to the rhythm of the life and ministry of Jesus. I hope that comes through a little bit, but it's working for me. <laughs> when we first began this season of Epiphany, I had shared that it was my prayer that this season for our church would actually be an epiphany for us. And I used the word epiphany, a sudden intuitive perception or insight into the reality or essential meaning of something usually initiated by some simple, homely, or commonplace occurrence or experience. Sometimes, church can seem, I don't know, it's what we do. It's our habit. We come here and we do it. But I hope that we are entering a season where we are learning from each other and we are learning from God. And it was my prayer that as we go about being a church in this season, not just having services, but being a church, that the evidence of God's gifts moving among us 
would be evidence of the truth. And that truth would not just be what we were achieving, but whose we are. And I think this exploration of the kingdom of God is still the exploration of whose we are. Have you ever seen those anatomy books where they show you um, what all the parts of a body are? So you've got like the bones, and then there's another sheet, and then there's the organs, and then another sheet, and then it's the skin, and then you can kind of see, oh, this is all the parts of a body. Reading the Sermon on the Mount and taking it seriously, I find, is like taking a transparent sheet of what the kingdom of God looks like and putting it over the church, over our lives, and seeing how much they match. Do we look like we serve a king who, despite his privilege, went into the most humble of places just to be with people and address their physical and spiritual needs? Are we a salt and light to our community? I think some of us are very good at this. I'm not sure how, we've great, how great we've been at this together as a subsect of the kingdom, but some of us are very good at it. But I think we can learn from each other. And as, as we develop habits or sometimes just adjust our posture in the habits that we already have, then instead of being curled in on ourselves and using our times with God to focus on only ourselves, we will hopefully be able to turn outward, more focused on God, more focused on his heart, more, fo more focused on the people that God sees. It is my hope that we are going to be able to intentionally make space in our daily practices, in our church practices, to look to God and to experience his heart for the world and to look to others and see them. As Isaiah said, don't pursue your own interests on that day. May we make space and be intentional to pursue the interests of God and to see the needs of others. I don't have all of the answers on how we become more like this, except to become more intentional to make space for God and others when we meet. So I'm trying to help facilitate that for you guys. We're going to start with little things. Every Sunday in the month of February, we are going to have prayer before the service from 10 to 10.30. Um, we did it this morning. There was a couple of us that met. Uh, it was very loud. We are going to learn as we go about where we can meet and how it's going to go. But I would like us to make this intentional space. And I invite you to join us or to figure out how you can make that intentional space in your own life. This morning, we also collected a donation for Samaritan House. Uh, honestly, any week that you are coming to church and you want to bring a donation, you can bring it and we will figure out a way to make it there save you a trip. Um, also, this week in my email, I asked that if you know of organizations in Brandon that are doing good work that need donations or volunteers, please let me know and I will try to highlight them in the email in the next coming, coming weeks, just so we can change our posture a little bit. 
we have a lot of spaces where we get very focused on ourselves. We get very focused on what we need. And if I've learned anything from my readings this week, and a lot of it is learning, it's one of the benefits of this, I don't have a pre-idea of what I think we need, um, but in reading this, I think it would very much value us to change a bit of our posture, to be intentional, to try to learn the heart of God and what he has for us. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we will be done. Lord, thank you for who you are and all that you have done. Thank you for the fact that Jesus did come into the world to be with us and to do that so that we could have a continual relationship with you. Thank you for your establishment of a place for us to live with you and your invitation to be one of your people. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to be your people, not just in thought, but in essence. Not just in behavior, but in our hearts. Transform us to be yours, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.